don't be afraid of having multiple closes. I think multiple closes actually helps, not hurts. Like it's not embarrassing to be on close 12. Um, what's embarrassing is to be on close zero, right? When you have no money. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Richard Kirby, co-founder and general partner at Equal Ventures. Prior to co-founding Equal Ventures, he was an investor at Venrock, where he led some seed and Series A stage investments. He was also at IVP. Equal Ventures is based in New York City. They debuted with a $56 million fund one. And we talk about a wide variety of topics in this episode, both for founders and emerging managers. Let's dive in. Rich, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. I am excited to talk all things Equal Ventures. Uh, I like to just set the, the ground here a little bit with what is the thesis, what are you guys investing in, and why at Equal Ventures? Yeah, yeah. So at Equal, we are a seed stage focused firm. For us, that means we're generally leading, co- leading or co-leading rounds in which the founder is raising, call it anywhere between three to $5 million. Our check size in that round ends up being about a million and a half to two. And yeah, I'd say the way to think about us is um, we are a generalist firm, so we invest across a wide variety of categories, but have trended towards you know categories that look more legacy in nature. So people call them boring. We think they're interesting, but um, they're generally you know categories that have been around for quite a while. Think of things like supply chain, logistics, insurance. We've done stuff in construction as well, where industries aren't new by any means, um, but they're very very large and they really haven't had a, a massive influx of tech adoption. And so that's where we've spent you know the bulk of our time, at least for Fund One. Take me through that decision to even invest that way, because there's so many different strategies. We talked to a lot of investors in the show around people who are generalists, people who are specialists, people who love certain industries for a particular reason. With you and Rick and the team, why why that focus, this area? Yeah, no, we think um, there's just lots of opportunity. At the end of the day, you know, we we are uh, you know venture capitalists who are looking to optimize the, the returns for ourselves, our LPs, and so forth. We are LPs in our fund as well, yeah. and, and we think it's just a massive opportunity to participate there. Um, we think, you know, historically those categories have been underlooked from a venture standpoint. You could argue maybe not anymore. I think a lot of folks are, are, are diving down that pathway. And I think historically people thought, uh, maybe correctly, honestly, that like, you know, horizontal solutions have bigger TAMs. Because in theory, if you're adding across multiple verticals, yes, that's true. Um, our kind of thought process there is that a, you know, vertically focused solution will be the best of breed product for a given category. And and if the category is sufficiently large, you can build a pretty large business there on its own. One thing we have to get into because your your background. So you had like public markets and like uh, investment banking and then other organizations as well prior to starting this, but why why start a venture firm is what I'm first gonna ask. And then I'm gonna dive into some things with that as well. I'm curious. Yeah. Um I guess many answers to that question. One is like Based on my career, that's all I knew, honestly. And so it's the only place I could be an entrepreneur if I was going to be one. Um, you know, I'd been an investor at that time across both Venerock and IVP for seven plus years and had only had a professional career of nine years. And so, and before that, as you alluded to, was an investment banking. So it's, it's kind of all I knew at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I think when thinking about why starting a firm, maybe versus joining a firm, I think, you know, what I realized across a couple of firms is that like, Firms that have been around for a while operate a certain way, and you, Justin, and me, Richard, are not going to change that way they operate. And, and so one is you could think about trying yeah. to stay and change how things are done. I think that's, that's quite difficult. Um, 
And that still applies to if you were to go join somewhere else rather than starting your own firm. And so, you know, starting your own firm allows you to have the ability to kind of, you know, dictate how things operate, how they run and so forth. And so that was one piece to, um, you know, believing that there was a void there. You know, when we were um, discussing and talking to founders, particularly the seed stage, there wasn't like a dearth of capital. Like there was plenty of capital to go around for all these seed stage founders, but we kept hearing the void was that like, folks were raising money, or I should say, they were getting money allocated to them in quotation marks because folks would say, hey, I'm in, depending on the lead or depending on the price yeah, when yeah. I be. And so there was plenty of capital, but there, but you couldn't have a round unless you had a lead in place. And so there was still a, a void of a lead investor at the seed stage. Um, and myself and Rick, having been doing that you know, for a good chunk of our career, we wanted to kind of hopefully fill that void. That's it. There, there aren't firms that do this. I think there's plenty of firms that do lead seed rounds, but there's still like a void for the volume of, of great founders and companies to have that built for them. There needs to be a lot more emerging managers realistically with diversifying the ecosystem to your point of how things operate already. They don't, like, venture firms don't hire that many people every year. I think you've talked about that in a different yeah. episode uh, as well. So like them starting funds, like people, different people starting funds makes a lot of sense. For you, what were some of the things you just didn't know, didn't realize about launching a fund, starting a fund, because there's so many aspects that go into that. Anything that might be helpful for other emerging managers or people who are considering going that route? I'm just curious on your experience. Sure. Um, what I didn't know, um, you know, some of it honestly was like not taking advice that we give our founders. So, you know, one of the things that we tell our founders is, hey, uh, don't waste time talking to every firm because a lot of firms won't invest in your category. We did that. We talked to anybody who had money. Waste of <laughs> waste of time, right? And so we talked to a lot of folks that were never going to invest in our firm. They don't even do seed. They don't even do first time funds. There are a lot of reasons why 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 folks that we spoke to we should have spoken to. So one, it was just like qualifying who we should be speaking to was a big point of of emphasis for us going forward. And I think once we did that, it enabled us to you know accelerate on our fundraise and make more progress than we had previously. Um, and, you know, people say it's hard and it's harder than, than people say it is, you know, um, you know, hearing consistently no is no fun, whether you're trying to raise a fund, trying to raise money for your startup, it might be, it's never any fun. And, and you know, um, you, you have high conviction in what you are hoping to build as being as the potential to be something very lucrative, but it's really hard to get folks to, to agree in that and, and want to support you in that journey. Just a level set. How long did it take to raise your fund? I think it took us like, 19 20 months and so so quite a while there and so what that means is that like it's also you know at least for rick and i not every gp but i think most gps that's like 19 or 20 months of no income right and that's extremely <laughs> yeah. extremely painful and so you have to really want to do whatever it is you're doing to to take that kind of pain particularly if you're living in a you know high expense city like new york city or san francisco or wherever else in the country might be especially if you have a family as well indeed. and so many other things indeed yeah <laughs> A lot, lot of factors that go into that. And with that too, I know your strategy, you're more concentrated in terms of your strategy, right? Bigger checks, like leading, leading seed rounds, basically. Take me through like working with founders. I know you mentioned another episode, another podcast around like every two weeks you have meetings with the CEOs. Like take me through how you are hands-on or helping the founders you invest in. Yeah. So we, we spend a lot of our, a lot of time with our companies. And so one of the reasons why um, we're, we're concentrated is, is you want to be as helpful as possible. And so um, to level set that, you know, our goal on a fund is to have roughly 20 investments. And so think of it as like, as a firm, we're doing four or five deals a year. So effectively, Rick or I do two, maybe three deals a year per person. And we we want 
to do that, to have the bandwidth, right? And so um, you can't talk to, you know, 37 founders every two weeks as that's your entire year, probably, if you were to just do that alone, right? Yeah. And so, um, and, and we actually end up talking to our founders actually way more frequently than that. We actually just schedule calls every two weeks as like a forcing function because our viewpoint is like, if you are a, a founder, you have so much going on in your, your day that, um, you know, you don't have the time to stop and say, okay, I could use help on X, Y, and Z. And so like that time period um, for us, is just a moment for us to say, hey, founder, stop for a second. Where are you struggling? Where you could use help? And, and we'll go figure out and answer those questions. Uh, but in reality, like that's the, that's the, probably the longest we go without talking to each founder in the portfolio because we're usually texting, emailing, having impromptu phone calls in that time period in between. And so um, it's a lot of contact. We, we enjoy it. It's not for everybody, obviously, but um, we like spending a lot of our time with our founders and trying to find you know, any way possible to give them as many unfair advantages as possible. And so that means helping on fronts on the recruiting side of one, not only sourcing the talent, but also helping close a candidate. And so I was like doing this for one of our portfolio companies probably three-ish weeks ago, um, you know, help them source that candidate and then, you know, spent a 90-minute walking session through Madison Square Park trying to help close that candidate after the <laughs> fact. And so that's a, that's a big piece of it. I think another piece that we spend a lot of time with is how to think about like strategically position yourself within your marketing category to to win and optimize and hopefully capture value for your company within that ecosystem. And I think the other piece too is you know alleviating the stress of of fundraising, whether that be that seed round that we're leading or or subsequent rounds. And so in that seed round that we're leading, we're you know doing what we think is necessary to kind of have that round spoken for. So we like to tell our founders, hey, once we invest, like we'll make sure this round is, is done. And so, um, and we know who the right folks for you to go talk to, to not waste your time and, and get the right folks that are complementary to us across the finish line. And then when thinking about downstream capital, so a series A or a series B for one of our companies, we um, you know help the companies position themselves to have success in that future fundraise that it's, it's as efficient as possible. And once again, not waste time with folks that don't make any sense. But also along the way, we're like, you know, dropping hints and tea leaves about these companies to the appropriate investors so that it's not the first one they're hearing about this company when they're looking to fundraise and they've got some context behind that. When you think about what you're doing at Equal Ventures and everything with building the team on your side of things, how do you view even like the platform side of it? You mentioned helping founders here. How do you view like the operations side, the platform side, building the actual team? Because that's another thing, a lot of emerging managers, you're going to have to build a team of some, of some people, but at the same time, you don't have massive funds. So mm -hmm. you don't have huge management fees. How do you think that through that side of things? Yeah, I actually don't. I'm not actually convinced that one needs to go build out a, a large team, regardless of your your, your fund size or mandate, because it, it it just I think depending on your strategy, right? And so, um, you know, some folks it, it may be less hands on, and so maybe it's less necessary to kind of have additional support there. You know, for better or worse, our take is that everyone should do everything, um, and so that means we don't have like a dedicated platform team. So there's not only anyone on our team that only does recruiting or only does BD or only does, you know, sourcing. We all do everything. And we think that's important to be able to help the portfolio company um, across the board. We don't want it to that like a portfolio company CEO thinks they can only talk to Richard on the team. Hopefully they can talk to anybody because everyone has exposure to the company and can be helpful. And we think it's important, um, particularly when like on, on the recruiting side to be able to say that, um, not only are we able to source candidates, but to be able to close candidates, you really have to have like a nuanced understanding of the space that company's in, um, the culture of that team, 
and what means like a proper fit or addition to that team. And I think it's really hard to do that if um, the person tasked with doing that within a firm is someone that doesn't have, you know, significant number of touch points with that particular founder or team. With then also running a venture firm, you run like the emerging manager circle. You just did in a big summit, maybe like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Wh- where does that fit in? You're the first one. So how did that come about in terms of doing that, deciding like, hey, we want to do the summit. It's worth doing this. Take me through that decision, like wh- how that ended up going for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess it was like sometime prior to COVID, um, I partner Rick came up with the idea of having this like emerging manager circle. And the kind of thought process there was that like, we messed up a bunch of things trying to raise fund one, most of which were things that could have been easy avoided by just talking to somebody else. And so we thought, Hey, let's get a few folks together to share best practices, learnings, thoughts, which LPs to not waste time with. Um, and like, it started off with just like, I don't know, six to 12 managers in New York city that were raising mostly, I think fund ones, maybe some fund twos getting together in our office at the time. Um, and having like a speaker come in, um, and discussing a topic and the speakers, we alternated between and an, a seasoned LP or a seasoned GP. So basically one topics around like fundraising, the other topics about firm building basically. Mm-hmm. And we do that in person with like pizza and like cheap beer and alcohol basically. Uh, and then yeah. the, the pandemic came and we couldn't do in person anymore, which we thought sucked, but in reality it was actually a good thing because it enabled us to broaden the aperture of who could participate in the emerging manager circle. So everything, you know, went to Zoom, but the content say the same, you know, uh, seasoned GPs and LPs on a monthly, every other month kind of cadence was what we did there. And um, yeah, I think that worked really well. I think people found value of it. And then after talking to both the GPs and LPs, um, you know, throughout this time period, we realized that, you know, folks wanted, you know, more connectivity to each other. You know, LPs are saying, hey, we find emerging managers to be very compelling, but like, we don't know all of them. We want to, you know, have like a, a better way of getting in front of them. And obviously every GP wants to raise capital. And so the GP is like, Hey, let me yes. get in front of these LPs. And so we, you know, we decided that the summit was a good idea to go ahead and like see if that made sense. And so it was a, a one day event that we did. Um, I want to say early October. Uh, so we brought together, I want to say 150 people, 75 GPs, 75 LPs for a, a day full of content the content, um, you know, we had a bunch of panels from you know, existing, or I should say, um, our peer set of emerging managers, the previous wave of emerging managers. We had um, uh, crypto-focused GP panel. Then we had, as well, on the LP side, uh, LPs around, like, the market today, fundraising in general, div- uh, investing in diverse managers. And then we had two fireside chats, one with um, uh, Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures, and then other with um, Joel Cutler, Adam Vulcan, and Ken Chenault from um, General Catalyst. And so we, we think that folks got some value out of it. Um, if they did, we're still like waiting for feedback on folks. And so hopefully they thought so. And yeah, then yeah. we can um, you know make it a, an annual thing instead of a one-time thing. Just curious, what was the lead time on that? How many months before? Not enough, man. Uh, it, I think it was like <laughs> two months lead time. I think we decided to do it in August, um, which okay. really jammed things together. But I got to give kudos to you know, our team, particularly uh, Chelsea and Sim and our team who like enabled it to kind of go really, really smoothly and, and you know, enabled recognizers come and like do our portion without having to see all the mess that happened in the background that they took care on our behalf. 
Yeah, I, I, we're, we're prepping a, a big event for next year, 2023 for Vitalize. And luckily we have uh, enough of a lead time because someone else had told me they took four to six months to prep for theirs. I was like, oh man, we need to start now. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we can we, be prepared. Yeah, no, if we do it again, <laughs> we'll, we'll need hopefully more than two months and then uh, we'll have less stress across the entire firm about doing so. Okay, I want to get into trends you're excited about because obviously any VC is talking <laughs> to founders all day long. You hear a bunch of things. What are you excited about? What are you seeing? Uh, things you're looking forward to here? Yeah, I think there's a couple trends that we've been spending time on. Um, uh, one has been uh, embedded fintech within vertical solutions. And so um, just to dive deeper into that, it's taking me through like a, a, a company that's providing some sort of like workflow improvement to their category. Um, and they're providing that workflow improvement for little to no cost. And they're doing so because what I think we realize in, in vertical solutions is that uh, vertical focused folks um, in these older industries don't like paying for software. And, and so you're not going to be able to kind of capture the, the value you'd like from just like a pure subscription um, revenue model. And so you provide that whatever workflow product for free, and then you find an alternative way to monetize, assuming that that workflow you've embedded yourself into enables yourself to have access to something else. And usually those um, you know, revenue streams have been tied to like some sort of financial service. So think about payroll, payments, insurance, factoring, um, take rates, commissions, things of that nature, more like transactional models is where we've been gravitating towards more lately. And we just think that like, you know, transactional business models uh, scale and grow much faster than pure subscription. So like the summary of that is like vertical focused software with embedded FinTech, and B2B marketplaces. I think that's where we've been spending our time. But you know, for us, it's always an evolving thing where you ask me the same question six months from now, I might have a different answer. <laughs> yeah, and think about what happened a week or two ago in the crypto world. Sure. Things, uh, things can change pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. I was, I was today actually, I was chatting. I'm always like looking for a new talent to put into our, our portfolio companies. And so I had conversations sure. with three different people actually today. Um, two engineering leaders, one product leader. And I just said, hey, I can see that you 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 have a wide aperture of things that you you were open to working on. So I'll ask an easier question: What are things that you don't want me to send you, like company wise? And, and mm. they both they all threw the same answer: said nothing in crypto, please. Not saying that like crypto is dead. <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. But it was interesting to kind of get that feedback from folks um, that they um, are hoping to look for things that are anything outside that category. For you, is that impacted you at all? Just in terms of your thinking at all, or taking a double double look on something like just. Just curious in your perspective on that, seeing that uh, being in the industry. Um, I'd say not really yet, just because like for okay. better or worse, we haven't spent any time in crypto and I just don't know anything about it. And so I'm just, a, I'm just like an idiot when it comes to this space. <laughs> and so um, for better or worse, I have not spent enough time to be, you know, remotely competent in the category. And so um, I've just left it alone for now. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. I think we're think very similar at Vitalize, just in terms of us focusing on future of work. Obviously, there's a component that you could see where like Web3 would be tied into that, but I personally have not gone super deep into that. I don't know if our team has necessarily gone super deep into that side of things, but it is just kind of a shocking, like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moment, like, things, like, <laughs> things can change quickly. You know, like I remember when, when um, you know, COVID was just like servicing and we were telling our team, this will be like a two-week thing, not a big deal. Let's not even focus mm -hmm. on this. And yeah, it was completely wrong. On that note, what do you think about the kind of uh, remote work in person? What are you seeing? Thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I think um, that we're definitely won't be the same as we were prior because, you know, I think the U.S. and you know most of the world were able to demonstrate they could work 
efficiently and productively without having to be in an office. And, you know, looking around New York City, a lot of like the really, really large uh, office spaces are, are not that not that full. And talking to employees at large companies, their offices are not that, they're not nowhere near capacity. And so I think like hybrid is like the, the new norm. Uh, I think like there'll be dedicated days where like folks will be required to come in, maybe not everywhere, but at some place and some places will go, you know, stay fully remote. But I think we'll like, as I'm talking to like some sort of like hybrid model, maybe it's like Tuesday through Thursday, folks are in person, folks can like bookend Monday and Friday. That way you can have like, you know, mm-hmm. a longer weekend or something like that. If, as long yeah. as you're still getting work, yeah. who knows what that, that solution looks like. But I think ultimately it'll look more hybrid-like than not. Yeah. One of those things too, is interesting when you see that is like people, and this is again, moral, we'll see, but uh, people working two jobs, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> where they two full-time jobs. I know you've probably heard of that as well. Yeah. It's like, you can see where people are doing that because they have the ability to, which is kind of insane. But also if they got the work done, would it matter? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to double dip on jobs. So I don't have a good sense of that. It, it sounds like one comp- one of those companies probably is not getting enough work done productively wise, and the other one is probably getting too much done. I don't know. Agree, agree. I know we've talked kind of broad here. I want to get kind of narrow down now. So with the equal ventures and the founders you're looking for, because uh, obviously there's founders are going to hear this as well. They're going to be curious about, you know, what does it take to get an investment, especially at the seed stage? What are you looking for? Anything you can tell us about either one, like metrics, characteristics of founders, anything you look for, you personally find exciting. Uh, I just want to dive deeper into that for you guys, just because other founders who are listening uh, would find that helpful. Yeah, sure. So that's it. Um, on the metrics side, there's, there's like, Nothing like specific that you show me X and I say, yes, I'm in to invest. Like we've invested in companies that were pre-incorporated as well as companies that have been around for probably like four years. And so it's a wide aperture, which meant like one of these companies had like maybe no name. The other one had, you know, been generated for three years plus. And so it's a wide variety of things that we spend time on. Um, I think for the founder side, you know, we're trying to get a better sense of is like, um, passion for whatever it is that they're working on and we find that usually comes in one of two ways like the passion for solving x pain point comes to the fact that you just you've spent you know seven years in the industry and and that's where you've got that passion from or it could have been some sort of like life experience where it's now like focused you to then spend time on this particular category um because i think you know this passion is really important in terms of like getting through the obstacles and roadblocks that occur in any founder's journey, whether you're to start up a firm, what it might be. And so that's super important. And I think when you have that as well, you're going to dive deeper enough to be, you know, an expert in that space. And so at the end of the day, we, we want to invest in experts in a category. And, you know, we don't necessarily want to be like educating you on your space. Um, we also don't want to be like taking, you know, as well. So it, it's meant to be like a collaborative conversation. So we try our best to um, understand what you're working on in advance so that we can hopefully provide value to you. So you're not just like, you know, trying to give a, a TED talk on your space only. <laughs> there's so much that goes into that uh, evaluating founders as well and i'm always curious about what, how investors approach it because there's like similarities for sure but there's also everyone has their kind of own flavor and take on that which i find very interesting as well and i want to we'll make sure we wrap up and have plenty of time here so uh one of the last things i'm curious about uh, i know we kind of had touched on this a little bit uh around emerging managers and kind of what you've gone through and um, your emerging manager circle but anything else for the emerging manager side of things because I, I think it does help the industry to have more emerging managers, especially diverse emerging managers. Uh, anything else you'd say to them as we kind of wrap things up here? I think one, it's it's unfortunately a tough time to be an emerging manager um, sure. uh, because of the market, right? Uh, you know, at the at the LP summit or emerging manager summit that we held in October, 
you know, LPs weren't saying they're not investing in management. They weren't saying they, they were either. Um, uh, it's, it's a tough spot because market dynamics are changing. And then secondly, the um, LPs already have like an established uh, base of um, positions, right? And so it's easy for me as an LP to say, well, I'm already in 15 funds. My goal is to be in 15 funds. And so I can just kind of hang out and reinvest in the same funds and or, um, you know, not invest in you managed at all. And so I think that's like the easier thing to do. And I think folks will continue to do that. And then um, on the emerging manager, like feedback side, I think it's like one qualifying LPs using your network of other GPs to say like, who should we not talk to? Who should we talk to? Because that will save you off the time, like I mentioned at the beginning. I think secondly, it's, um, you know, I think having answers to a lot of like the key questions that folks have. One is, you know, how do you differentiate in this you know, super, super crowded landscape? Which I think is like a very, very difficult question to answer for anybody. I, I think ourselves included, it's very hard to answer. Um, and I think the other thing I, I stress to folks who are starting funds is like, don't be afraid of having multiple closes. I think multiple closes actually helps, not hurts. Like it's not embarrassing to be on close 12. Um, what's embarrassing is to yeah. be on close zero, right? When you have no money. And so I think what, what multiple closes enables you to do is actually make investments. And so prior to you closing capital and doing deals, you're, you're a theoretic firm or fund. Um, and one LP told me, it's like, you guys aren't even a firm. You have no money. Like you're not a fund. And, and he was right. He was right. Um, and the moment True. you you raise capital and start making investments, you, you start to prove out points. And so you're proving out, um, one, I've raised money, which is great, uh, from people that hopefully they respect too. Two, um, I have access to deals, which is always a question. Um, three, I've proven that I can not only have access, but actually get into deals, whether I'm winning them or being a participant. And so, and then four, if enough time passes or that company does well, maybe there's their like um, improvements, markups, progress in that company. And so you can actually de-risk yourself as a firm by having multiple closes. Rich, appreciate the time. Where's the best place for people to learn more about what you're doing, connect with you as well if they'd like to. Sure, yeah, yeah. Thanks again, Justin. Um, Emails just Kirby at equal.vc. It's super easy. Twitter is just at Kirby. And um, yeah, our firm website's equal.vc. And so hopefully those various mediums, I probably messed up by putting my email out there, but you know what? I'm always happy to chat with folks. And so um, hopefully, hopefully we try to make ourselves, you know, really accessible because, you know, one of the things that we think is unfortunate about the industry is that it, it has historically been inaccessible. And so I think being as, as open as possible to talking to folks is wherever they may be, whatever they're working on is important. And that's what like our, our um, portfolio reflects. And so like, you know, our portfolio, we've got companies in pretty much everywhere in the country, except for SF. Um, and it's not cause like we're trying to avoid that, 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 that area, just that like for better or worse, the deals that we found that we've got excited by just having them based there. And so we've got, you know, companies in North Carolina, obviously New York, Florida, Colorado, Texas, um, Illinois, you know, Toronto and elsewhere. And so um, we like having um, folks wherever they are, because I think, you know, the expertise in a category can be found in any part of the country or world. Absolutely. Appreciate the time, man. Justin, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.